everyone, and welcome to the Wharton Fintech Podcast. I'm your host, Miguel Armasta. Our guest today is Tosin Eniolorun Das. He's the founder and CEO of Team App, a financial software company focused on building solutions and running infrastructure for African banks, businesses, and people to manage their money. In this episode, we discuss Tosin's background, his journey as an entrepreneur, and why he decided to bootstrap the company for several years before raising any venture dollars, TeamNap's impressive growth, building the company, and how they developed the biggest non-bank mobile money platform in the market, the amazing Nigerian opportunity, and the state of fintech and the entrepreneurial ecosystem in Africa, and a whole lot more. And now join me in this great conversation with Tosin from TMAP. Tosin, welcome to the Wharton Fintech Podcast. How are you today? I'm fine, Miguel. Thanks for having me today. It's a pleasure. Where are you calling us from? Currently in Lagos, Nigeria. I kind of shorten my time between Lagos and London. But these days, operations run out of Lagos, Nigeria. Great, great. Well, I guess we can get started by hearing a little bit about your personal background, right? And, and take us through the journey that eventually led to uh, Team App. Okay, thanks. The firstborn of family of five. I have two siblings. Uh, I guess, is it cliche to say most entrepreneurs start their years early already being entrepreneurs? Because my early years were more where I was building a lot of hardware and software stuff for people out of out of a town called Ibada in Nigeria. I proceeded to high school where I was one of the you know engineering club presidents and later to university. I think I found my entrepreneurship drive more in the university days uh, where I was literally building software solutions, hardware solutions for people that needed it while I was studying mechanical engineering in school. So I think at the point I thought I was going to build a Sony out of Africa. <laughs> but I quickly realized that hardware was generally harder to do and software was a better way to go. So I graduated from Obafemiolo University in Nigeria and I studied mechanical engineering, like I mentioned, and joined InterSwitch as a software developer then. I think the reason then at the back of my mind was more like, okay, it was easier to join a startup then into switch being a startup there because you, you could learn some of the major things you need to learn. But pretty quickly, as the company began to grow, I realized I couldn't move as flexible as I would love to get things done. Entrepreneurship kicked in again. So I got a couple of my colleagues and I convinced them to leave the company and let's start team out. The opportunity that we saw then were at that time in the in 2015, banks needed, they needed people that had the skills to build digital platforms for them. So they needed some widely built mobile banking, web applications, back office processes in Nigeria then, because that was when most banks were digitalizing their operations. So TMAPS was formed. Initially then, we began to provide widely built digital banking solutions for these banks. We grew the business, we bootstrapped, we became one of the largest, if not the largest, by number of deployments, digital solutions provider for banks in Nigeria. And we also expanded to Ghana and began operations there. We built a business, we were profitable, we were cash flow positive, 
but we began to think around what our goals were. We started the business, you know, with the mission. The social mission was to provide financial happiness for people through technology and also, of course, get financial gains while doing it. So while we're doing it, we struggled with the mission because passing, doing, building stuff through banks, kind of we lost the main mission because you, banks were not really delivering financial happiness for people, right? So we struggled with that part. And secondly, we needed um, a larger commercial market, right? We needed something bigger, something that could be a global scale. And we looked around us and we realized that Nigeria had a large population of the underbound and underserved financially. 60% of Nigerians not yet banked. And here we are, we are Nigerians, we understand the ecosystem, we also understand the technology part of it. So we figured out that we should build solutions that could help the underserved get access to financial services. An example is that in Nigeria then, if you wanted to withdraw cash, you could stay on queues at the ATM that would last you 30 minutes to one hour because you wanted to withdraw an equivalent of $100. And these queues were very rampant all over the nation because there were fewer ATMs to go around people that needed cash. Other problems were certain suburbs, countryside locations. People simply had to travel if they needed to get financial services, like open a bank account, get a loan. They simply had to make a journey far and wide. This was not ideal, but also represented an opportunity for us. And here we are, our background working in InterSwitch, building a solution for banks to provide digital banking services meant that we had what it required. Uh, so we took our first raise. It was from a small family fund in the country. We took about $5.5 million uh, to build out our initial proof of concept. And in about 2018, and in 2019, we pivoted to begin to to launch a solution to serve these underserved guys. And the solution was simple. You just needed to have agents all over the country where people with a hard bank accounts could go and withdraw cash or deposit cash if they wanted to. So these guys were like human ATMs, similar to the M-Pesa model that you had. And Nigeria was just ripe for it. So I guess we had, we're just right on time. I think we're right on time because between 2019, Q to 2019 and now, we agreed to become the largest provider of agency banking services in the country. We are one of maybe two, three larger providers. We do roughly 42 million transactions monthly and excess of $2 billion monthly. We are profitable, we are cash flow positive, and we've grown multiple times all over the year. Now, that's basically the first phase of our execution because now we have allowed people to be able to solve the problem of getting access to their money easily if they needed it in cash form. But there's still a problem. The problem is that our solution is only serving people that have managed to open accounts and get maybe like a debit card. There are still millions, tens of millions of people that still don't have bank accounts. And these guys are common, economically viable people. If you don't have a bank account, you don't have a formal financial history, which also means that you don't have access to formal credit. So we're beginning to tackle this through two routes. The first one is loans that we're 
been tending to be given to open market, open market traders. Open market traders are interesting people because they are viable economically. They have turnover. They make profits. But many of them are too busy or too uneducated to deal with banking, form of banking services. So we basically beginning to bank these guys by giving them access to microloans, circa between $100 to about $400 for a 30 to 60 day period. We basically now use their social reputation to give them loans since they don't have formal financial history yet. This concept is simple. You know, if you have a circle of friends, close friends, sometimes you know who you could borrow money or not if you want to keep your friendship, right? So following a similar model, we figured out that you, we could you know, use people's opinion of all that to come up with a financial score, credit score for these unbanked people. And so far, our model has proven to be successful because we have very interesting NPLs that's non-performing low rates also. We're also beginning to build local mini banks where people could more or less open uh, bank accounts and you know, begin to get more access to financial services and don't need to travel long distances or wait on conventional queues of existing banks. And um, this is the direction that we intend to execute for the next four or five years. We have seen parallels with Nigeria, with success that we have had out of Nigeria. We have seen strong parallels, parallels around countries that have good infrastructure, good regulation, politically stable. However, access to finances is still not yet very strong. There are strong parallels. Egypt, for example, is a strong parallel to Nigeria. Congo DRL still fraught with some issues, but it's Nigeria many years back. Some people will argue Brazil is a more advanced Nigeria. So we're beginning to also take some of our growths and uh, some of our products, some of these countries. And the intention is for us to get to at least four more similar countries by the end of 2024. So that's interesting, Tosin. So I wonder if the Nigerian opportunity is so big in and of itself, why not stay just in Nigeria? I know there's a huge opportunity globally, right? But I'm sure you debate this question, whether to stay local or expand. Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, Nigerian opportunity is truly big. But I kind of think that we have more in us. I think everybody needs to stay in your flow zone. Your flow zone is a zone of where you have, I think there's this chart of challenge versus capability. And let's imagine that that chart is a linear graph, right? There's a zone just below and just above it that it's ideal to operate in. I think we're going to conquer Nigeria. However, we believe that we have more in us to be able to take this to more countries. Because like I said, we have both a commercial mission as well as a social mission. So the way we're improving people's lives, our partners, our agents, our customers, it will be of great honor that we can also do the same thing across more countries while increasing the commercial benefits for partners and shareholders. So I think we have more in us to do beyond Nigeria. So <laughs> that's that's Yeah, that's understood. That's understood. I want to go back a little bit to what you mentioned about the beginning, because we do interview quite a few entrepreneurs on the show. And the typical story is that they go out and raise some money to then launch the product. But yeah. you have a different DNA. 
you bootstrapped for at least three years, if not more, right? And then I think you had around 60 people before you took an external dollar. So was this a conscious decision from day one or did it just work out that way? It was a conscious decision, actually, for two major reasons. The first reason was being a single founder, it's kind of harder to actually build products and raise at the same time in the beginning, right? A lot of companies are stuck in the limbo of not able to build their products because the founder is focused on raising. So the fact that we've chose an enterprise path to begin with also meant that we had enough liquidity to pursue our dreams. That's the first reason. The second reason actually is at the end of the day, what matters commercially for founders and entrepreneurs exits, right? And the biggest dilution generally happens in the beginning of startups. The moment you have begun to prove it is good to raise just enough money to get you to your next milestone. Dilution in itself is not bad. Dilution is only bad when you don't reach the milestone that you are supposed to reach with the money that you have raised. So by allowing ourselves to stretch the money that we have raised or we have not raised to get us to as much milestone as possible, we have managed to actually create a lot of value for our early partners and our early shareholders. For example, we have an interesting cap table that's not typical of companies at that stage. Another parallel, for example, is there's a certain company, the biggest competition that we have in Nigeria currently, has raised probably 50 times of the amount of money we have raised, right? And we have better traction than them. This has allowed us to build an execution and efficiency-friendly culture where every dollar or million dollar that we raise is expected to turn out many, many multiples of that value. And this simply means that we're building a lot of value and wealth for the shareholders. So this was deliberately on, apart from the fact that I, as a single founder, also had the constraints in being on the road. Because raising is not easy, actually. You need to be on the road a lot, doing PGs, and this is time that you have to be focused on building product, talking to customers that you need to now be using talking to investors. So it's a combination of both. It's a harder path to go, right? But I would recommend it for whoever wants to follow the path down the line, especially early days, because you can manage them to actually raise a lot more money in the future while still minimizing dilution. That makes sense. We recently had Michael Siba and Dalton Caldwell from Y Combinator, and they were saying that fundraising should take only 5% of your CPU uh, you know, time, and the rest should be devoted to building, right? Let's talk a bit more about your philosophy. I, I want to understand better what you mean by fulfilling financial happiness, right? What, what does that mean from your point of view? I'm sure a lot of us have had, uh, I mean, through our growing up process, I'm sure my audience, either you're going through your grown up process or you're grown up already. The output of growing up process often is figuring out what we want in life, at least a framework for it. And I think for most people, it centers somewhere around positive feelings throughout their lives. So we all give it different names, right? Some people say fulfillment, some people say I want to reach my goals or dreams. Some people say I just want to be happy. And I think it is common to every grown-up individual that you figure out what you want in life. 
So I could say common denominator for everybody is happiness. Unless you have reached a new level of enlightenment like monks out of, out of India, we all quickly know that money is an important element for happiness. So, I mean, I consider it pretty much close to being noble to be able to help people find happiness with money. We're in a world where technology literally drives everything. So, I mean, building solutions, products and services that can allow people to improve their lives by helping people find happiness with money sounded like a very, very universal and big mission to focus on. I would say that so far, we're fulfilling some of this. We have turned a lot of people's lives around in the country. Many of our partners today work with team out, not as staff, but maybe as sales contractors, have become multimillionaires in Naira. Their lives have changed. Many of our partner agents that have chosen to use our platforms to run their businesses have seen turnaround in their businesses, and many of them are grateful to stay on our platform. So some of these things that when we get, besides the commercial benefits that we also get, usually keeps us happy, keeps us refreshed, keeps us driven that we are making a major impact in the lives of our users. So I just considered that knowing that money is important in life for you to find happiness and us focusing our mission in this direction sounded like a pretty universal, large and noble goal that I'll be honored to devote my time in. Understood. And that, that makes sense. That makes sense. Let's talk a little bit about the milestone that you recently reached. And that is you now operate Nigeria's largest non-bank mobile money platform, right? Tell us about this specific product and this milestone. Okay, yeah. So like I earlier mentioned, uh, Nigeria has circa a 40 million bank population out of a 100 million plus adults. And of this 40 million, maybe about 25 million and 30 million cards are available. And the problem prior to now has been there are probably about 15 to 20,000 ATMs all over the country. So imagine millions of people attempting to use a few thousand ATMs. So that's where agency banking comes in, similar to known models all over Africa and even in Asia. You have humans that have cash with them or need a device that a point of sale device that people can come and similar to when you're buying goods at Walmart or Tesco, debit your cards, but this time you're buying cash. Or secondly, people have cash and they want to deposit this cash into their bank accounts. So they go to the same agents and give them the cash. So what Cmaps does is we provide a platform, which is a form of a web mobile application, a web platform, and a point of sale that allow these agents to carry out these cash-in, cash-out, and payment transactions. We also support these agents through our support channels for whatever problems they might have. We also help and coach them on how they can grow their business. One of the key differentiating factors for us is the reliability of our product, where agents have grown to trust us that they could rely on our services to grow their business. We also rely a lot on personal relationships as well as coaching many of these agents to be able to, you know, grow their business with us. This has, over the years, allowed us to win the trust of all our agents that allowed us, you know, to grow faster than competition, despite not being the 
most funded, uh, the world most funded of the cohort of competition. So yeah, I mean, that's basically what agency banking is. Uh, you have human agents that people, consumers can approach to perform transaction services like cash in, cash out and payments. And Timout supplies the technology platform as well as the point of sale that is needed to be able to perform these transactions. Tosin, so you've been a participant of the fintech industry and the fintech ecosystem in, in Nigeria and in Africa for a number of years now, before Team Apt, of course. Can you tell us a bit about the scene down there? Like, tell us about, because I, I know it's a booming industry, not just in Nigeria, but uh, around the continent and around the world, but there's no question that it is having a moment, right? Yeah. I would love to hear more about the fintech industry from your point of view. Africa as a whole is actually, like you said, is considered the next growth region for the world. I think Africa probably still has the biggest potentials for growth. And Nigeria being one of the largest countries in Africa is, and also by GDP, certainly is one of the focal points for this growth. As you do imagine, it's a vibrant ecosystem, a lot of well-funded players, a lot of smart teams tackling some of the world's biggest problems. You have a lot of local competition, a lot of local players who basically take the profile of, they are mostly tech founders, like my, me, for example. You mentioned GB, Paystack, Flutterwave. Many of the, us are technical founders, which have ex-engineers, ex-product managers. And as a matter of fact, such profiles seem to be one of the winning profile for tech founders. Of course, that's if you're a single founder. And even if you're a double founder, if you have a double founding team, you need to have at least one of them very technical. I mean, you could draw parallels from some of the big techs of the world, especially out of the US, Apple, Tesla, Google, Facebook, they all have tech founders. So what you typically see in Nigeria, tech founders building either collection systems, by collection I mean systems through which people can, businesses or consumers can get paid. This can take the form of a payment gateway, agency network, or remittances, or they are building digital banks where who are like challenger banks or new banks that offer better services than traditional banking systems, or they are building API aggregation systems where Banking APIs can be aggregated through one simple API to use by consumers. Or you have loan providers where people can quickly borrow uncollateralized micro or nano or business expansion loans pretty quickly. Or you have savings platforms where people could save money to meet certain goals and objectives and have interesting interest rates as well as be given incentives to ensure that they meet those savings goals, or you have wallet systems. Uh, wallet systems are sort of like new banks, but with more flexibility for people to do transactions through them. I mean, these are some of the themes of the fintech industry in the country. I think I could run through them again. Collection systems like payment gateways, agency systems, digital banks, wallet systems, loan providers, savings platforms. Essentially, fintech is all about finding ways to either help people collect, collect money, pay money, that's to disperse money, grow money, or manage money. So 
basically those four pillars and everybody you know attacks it from different angles i also think we have a lot of we have some big players arguably few maybe about five ten a lot of up and growing platforms and you have a lot of underground platforms that are all coming up right i think the exit events of many of us will also bring a lot more attention and funding to the nigerian ecosystem and another trend is nigerian banks are some of the aside south african banks the one some of the strongest banks out of africa uh, nigerian banks generally expand outside nigeria find presence in ghana find presence in benin find presence in east africa south africa and that's probably because of the economies of scale of nigeria i think you could see a similar trend also uh, where nigerian fintech startups begin to also expand outside the country and you know begin to replicate some of the successes as well as some of the economies of scale that they have built by dealing with africa's largest economy Listen, so if you and i jump on the phone again in let's say 3 to 5 years what would you consider a success for tnet what kind of update would you like to be giving me you know in a few years right what would be a success for you down the road i have the financial perspective i have a i have a product perspective i have a geographical perspective and i have a social perspective for the financial perspective clearly <laughs> excess of unicorn revenue let's say 5 years excess of unicorn revenue uh for the product perspective we have built uh solutions and found traction in many economies that allow people to carry out transactions pay collect grow and manage their money geographical perspective we've gone being we've already we've executed successfully outside nigeria and we are present in at least four more big economies social perspective people actually finding happiness financially dealing with our products i will consider having a successful 5 years having at least three of these perspectives i have shared financially is one of them i have a good feeling i have a good feeling just <laughs> <laughs> so, so this is outstanding before we let you go one last question we love to ask everyone who comes on the show is to hear a bit about your hobbies how do you spend some of that time outside of tnap because i'm sure you do work a lot but you got to have some personal time yeah Uh I play video games. I'm a bit of a sedentary individual, that's not so great. I play a video game, I play Mortal Kombat. Oh nice. I used to play that as well. <laughs> <laughs> I play Mortal Kombat 11. Some I play Combat League sometimes as to demigod level. So I know yeah, I know not to grandmaster. Yeah. So I won't say I'm so good at that. I I don't get to practice mode. So yeah, that's one. Two, I just spend my time with my family. Um, I'm married. I have a daughter. I mean, they are not with me right now. I'm at work, but I need to get back to them as soon as possible. Three, I like driving, a bit of a touring, and sometimes I just take drives around and just take a bit of breather. Yeah, I think uh, I mean those three things generally allow me to you know relax and outside the work. But sometimes work is really interesting beyond, beyond being stressful too. So sometimes you just lose time doing. Well, Tosin, can't thank you enough for joining us. Really excited to watch the continued growth of TNAP and I hope uh, we stay in touch because I know that you'll have some fantastic updates. But 
Thank you for joining us. I always invite our, our guests to stop by campus. I probably won't be there, but there'll be a lot of people eager and willing to welcome you. So that is an open invitation. Absolutely. Uh, I'm sure this year I'll be in the US. I mean, once we get a vaccine, right? Uh, I'll travel, sure. I'll be happy to have that. Fascinating. Thank you, Tosin. Thank you, Miguel. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Wharton Fintech Podcast. If you like the show, please consider leaving us a review or letting us know in the comments. It means a lot and helps spread the word to more listeners. If you want more content from our fintech community, please subscribe to our podcast channel and find us on LinkedIn, Twitter, and the rest of social media at Wharton Fintech. You will find interviews, articles, videos, and much more analyzing all aspects of the industry. We also want to extend a special thank you to our show editor, Rafael Ostria. Signing off, I'm your host, Miguel Armasa. 